Welcome, this is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, we have a very interesting show. It's kind of a long title. I'm going to read it for you. Greater Life on <laughs> Planets Where Humans Cannot Sense, Think, or Live. All right? You might say, well, what good is that to us? <laughs> well, this is one of those shows that's uh, more abstract. So, yeah, I don't expect that anybody who's listening to tonight's show is going to be greatly, we'll say, uh, equipped from the information to go live on a planet that humans can't live on. But nonetheless, there is a very good reason to talk about this subject. Now, I've kind of dealt with it in the past, but not to any great length, simply because most people don't identify a lot with what I'm going to be talking about, but if you've been following some of the more advanced shows in recent times, you'll see how this connects in. So let's begin by talking about what I mean by greater life. I mean, something special about it? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the idea of life is the growth of our creator. So you want to have as much growth of the creator in a universe created by such so that its growth is dependent upon the life that exists here. And that life has to have the qualities uh, of independence. In order to have the independence, the life has senses and thought and the ability to exercise these on its own without interference directly by the creator or any being that is closely associated with the creator. Now, you might say, well, okay, so what's the big deal with that? <clears throat> well, it is a big deal because most religions, tend to confuse this idea. They think that God is a being sort of like your next-door neighbor. When you need some help, you just call over and say, Hey, God, can you come in here and give me a hand? Uh, it doesn't work that way, because if it did, we would have such contamination of the little tiny fraction of ability to sense and think that we have as human beings, uh, it will be overpowered, overwhelmed by continuously thought that was so much greater than ours, and we just it would it would be nothing more than a puppet show, and we'd be the puppets. That isn't God's plan. The plan of God is to have life grow in its own fashion, as best as it can, and only be assisted in areas that it has, we'll say, developed itself to be able to enter into. It doesn't mean that humans can't have contact with God. It just means that the contact we have is usually through intermediary sources. And if there is any direct contact by our standards, with God. It's usually through things like our 
we'll call it super soul, the greater greater part of our own soul. And <clears throat> even that's very far removed. That being is very far removed from God. So again, it's this isolation which is so necessary. Uh, yet the assistance of a great being, when appropriate, is there. And that's what, that's what tonight's show is about, is trying to define this and explain it, how it happens, why it happens, when it doesn't happen, why it doesn't happen, and what we can expect in terms of our existence as we grow uh, just being human beings and then eventually beyond the human kingdom when we move on. We, we being beings, but as a different kind of being than human being anymore. So human beings can develop themselves into what we'll call superhuman type of beings. And they can develop themselves to super, super higher beings. <laughs> And there's names for all these. I'll tell you those, of course. And eventually, you can end up being uh, as close to the Creator, God, as you can possibly get. And at that point, you share two-thirds of the experience of what God actually is and will experience. It's still pretty good. Two out of three parts of God can eventually be experienced by a being in this universe. That's pretty amazing. Now, the other thing I think I want to talk about is that I'm not talking about the universe that most people think is out there. You know, oh, it's all those galaxies, right? It's like uh, 200 billion or two billion, yeah, 200 billion big galaxies, or, and everyone has one or 200 billion stars. And all this. Well, <clears throat> that's not... The universe, that's a single, the lowest uh, series of subdimensions into one dimension that we live in. That single dimension is everything we think, human beings think, on this planet at least, exists. And you can say, well, <laughs> that's not very much if that's true. And it is true, but... The point is, the reason we believe that is because our senses are not well enough developed. A lot of people would say, well, that's partly technology. So, well, that's just an extension of our own senses. But yes, if you want to call it that. Uh, and we can't even think beyond a certain level. But I'll get to that in a minute. And we can't even for certainly live while we're physically alive very easily in the even relatively higher dimensions that humans still can live in. And we're in the basement while we're physically alive. And you say, well, what about when you're not physically alive? When you're not physically alive, then you can go up to the mid-range <laughs> where we can live. And that's called the astral dimension. You've heard me talk about that, and you probably have read about it. Okay, so, the astral world, yes, that's, that's another dimension, not just of the planet itself, but of the entire, what we think of as the universe. So there's an astral universe, actually considerably larger, 
than the physical universe that we identify with, with the hundreds of billions of galaxies and so on. So those same galaxies have built into them an astral dimension. And humans that exist anywhere in that realm can uh, exist in the astral dimension, some fully conscious while they're also physically alive, but most, like us, not so much so. And so they're much more able to live in the physical world than the physical and astral at the same time. It all depends on the development of the planet and development of the beings, human beings, on that planet. More primitive planets, like Earth is, uh, tend to be strictly relegated to humans having some, we'll say, reasonable understanding of the dense physical part of their dimension, but the etheric, electromagnetic part, we know very little about. Even here on Earth, or especially here on Earth, we know very little. And that's not unusual for planets that are relatively primitive like Earth. So there's an awful lot we don't have a clue about. And I say we, I'm talking about the majority, the vast majority of people. I'm not saying there aren't a few people who maybe listen to the show or others and have read other books, most of them more metaphysical than physics types books. But granted, license meaning is kind of a joining of the two and it does a fairly good job with it. But the point is that in most cases, that isn't how it works. People just generally think this is all there is. And it's unfortunate because we're missing out on so much. I mean, literally. <laughs> Even of the universe that, as a human being, in theory at least, you're capable eventually of having understanding about and interaction with. We are in the very basement. So that's pretty, pretty tough. While we're physically alive. Now, true, when you're asked to move on to the astral world, you could say, well, now I'm I one step higher. <laughs> uh, but most, most humans don't make it to the atomic level of the astral world, where they can really sense everything about the astral world. They, can, they usually are in the lower parts where it isn't that much different than living in the physical world. And there are misunderstandings about, and misperceptions about what the universe is like and what God is like. Very much distorted by that fact. So if you really want to get some astral understanding, you need to get into the third, second, and first astral subworlds, particularly the second and first, because there there's a pretty good understanding of some people, some humans, uh, will say perception, so their senses, in other words, and thought, as well as their overall life, the way they live, the, live their lives, uh, that is consistent with having a nearly complete understanding of the astral dimension. And that's pretty good, if you can make it there. How many people make make it to those levels? Very, very few. Most people that die from the physical world end up in the fifth, sixth, or seventh sub-worlds of the astral world. They don't even, it, 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 
they, if you took the total of that, that number, it would equal or exceed the fourth. So even a fourth isn't bigger if you combine the ones on the lower one. So it's it's kind of like, wow, there's not much consciousness going on up there. And that's true. Because the people who die from here do gain a little bit in consciousness, but they fall back pretty quick to where they were when they lived, physically. And it's hard for them to move much past that point. Okay, so then what? Well, people in the fourth astral subworld, and to a less extent in the third, are still relatively self-focused, but at least they start learning a basic paradigm. And that is, the more conscious you are, consciousness is a defining element to being closer to both God and closer to having a more meaningful existence. And they start realizing it when they get to the fourth for those who make it there. A lot of people who go to the astral world never make it to the fourth astral subworld, even though they may they may live their life in the fifth or something, but it didn't, they don't make it to the fourth. They may know about it, by the way, but they don't know much because they can't understand it. They notice some other place, you know, that exists a little bit more or whatever. They don't, they don't get it. Okay. And what about the third? The third is kind of like one that's based more on knowledge than on consciousness. So it has this propensity to, the people there have a propensity to seek more knowledge. Knowledge isn't a terrible thing. There's nothing that wrong about it. But this is knowledge that's based upon personal desires to know, not knowledge that's based upon service to others. Knowledge at service to others is a whole dimension, way two dimensions higher, all the way into the intuitional world. But it, that's not where they're at. So it's kind of like, eh, ain't much, really. Okay, so there we are. We have a very limited type of existence in, on Earth that gives us a very false, generally false, understanding of where we are, the planet we're on, what it's like, where it has anything to do with anything else, and generally what the universe is like. The entire universe is totally, almost vacant from 99.999999% of all the buddies understand. Now, granted, if you listen to this show a lot, maybe some others from other people, maybe, maybe you read some of the books I've written or you... You, you know, that sort of stuff, you might eventually say, hey, I got some more, I got that. You know, that's great. But there's not that many people that really do that. Uh, I might talk about people who casually listen to the show, because that could be, it seems like it could be fairly larger numbers, but it doesn't mean <laughs> they don't understand what, they, what I'm saying. Right? So that's, uh, you know. And maybe I just piqued their interest a little bit, which is okay. You know, anything's better than nothing as far as I can see in this situation. So that's good. Now, let's take it a little bit higher. Let's say, where else can humans hang their hat? (laughs) Well, eventually, they live in the monastic world after death in the astral world. Uh, And when they live in in the monastic world, uh, humans don't easily live in the higher parts of it. They they start usually at the bottom and work their way up. A few people don't have to because they really have their act together, but 
having a, a large amount of monastic under, understanding of how the universe works. And because of that, they don't spend much time in the lower subworlds, which is really kind of a waste of time, in my opinion, and they leave you more open towards evil. Evil can still get to the to, to the seventh and sixth mental uh, subworlds, and they can kind of creep in here and there in the fifth, but not very much. And the fifth is dangerous to lose, we'll say, control over, because once that's done, planets have been known to be swallowed up by evil in very short order. So they're fighting to get that, and the rest of the more spiritually inclined people are trying to stop it. What's that that they're trying to get to? It's mental truth. You're trying to develop a certain level of mental truth. The mental truth is not that high. I know that sounds terrible to say, but it really isn't. It's just high enough to know when something isn't right and about it. And you're not willing to accept it as the truth. That's a good thing. That's the fifth mental subworld. And evil fights like heck to try to get people to buy into their their fake way of explaining. But for the most part, people aren't fooled by that, and they uh, do not accept it in an evil way, which is a good thing. It doesn't tell them a heck of a lot about the monastic dimension in general because it's still a bit too low to gain great understanding about the mental universe. They, they just, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's at the fifth level and there's seven levels. Yeah, the sixth, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's at the fifth level and you have the, the fourth, the third, the second, and the first that's beyond you. And those are just the major subplanes. There's some, they're all divided up into sub-subplanes. They're that hard and that touchy about, you know, the slightest amount of change in development of truth. And truth is transient. It doesn't last over time. Why is that? Well, the biggest problem is that in order for truth to last over time, you have to create it for others and help them to understand it. And most people in the mental world aren't that way. They don't they won't give themselves up to that level. For others. It's a selfish but it's a selfishness that's hidden by a, a sense of great wisdom, you know, like they're wise. They're not wise. Wisdom would show that they're very unwise, but they like to pretend. And the pretense is that if I know things that other people don't know, I know truths that other people can't understand, which is not true. The truths are far beyond the knowledge levels that people think they have when they are reaching these levels. So, Earth at the present time is embroiled in the fifth mental subworld with fights about truths that are really not truths in any long-term fashion. They may be true for the moment, 
until we get better information for our senses improving and using technologies that improve our senses on top of the ones that we already have. And so that's kind of where things are. Well, how do you get hired? Uh, if you really want to get to any level of real, real truth, you got to get above in the higher mental world. you got to get above the lower mental world. you got to get above where the human self hangs out, which is the fourth subplane. I mean, it's like this little tiny niche in there. And it's, it's, just, it's just hanging around. And it doesn't have a, a great deal of understanding of much in any sense. But it's in this thing called the mental unit. And it's just a, it's just a little piece. And it's, it's the bottom piece of the mental unit. So it's right down there at the bottom of the fourth, so to speak. And you get all this like, kind of crazy stuff going on there that is uh, people pandering others of having an understanding about this or that and making it seem like they really have it together and they're really conning themselves and possibly some other people. That's where the self is hiding out, the human self. The human self doesn't grow much by just hanging out. It's got to develop itself beyond that by getting together with its soul and joining itself with the personality in ways so that the personality is no longer fully subconscious the majority of the time. And it brings it by, by giving of itself to the personality, it raises the personality from a subconscious thing to a semi-conscious or sometimes fully conscious in some people. And by gaining all this consciousness, the personality changes. It literally becomes an extension and part of the soul. You say, well, where's the human soul? Well, that's way beyond what we were just talking about. It's up in the higher mental world. And the soul, if you're a human, the soul is contained literally at a very fixed point at the beginning of its existence. And that is, this is going to sound a little hard to understand, but we'll give it a shot. You know what the heck. <laughs> and it's in this second general sub-world, right in the middle of it, so we'll call it the four sub-sub-world, or the second sub-world, that's in this little spot. And most of the time it's asleep while human beings develop. Because from one lifetime to another, you keep the same. You, you, you got the same soul. The soul doesn't change. And the soul gradually unfolds itself. As it unfolds itself, it starts touching all these other subplanes with its energies and with its, with its thought. And that builds a bridge across the whole higher mental world that eventually can be connected through a greater soul called the solar angel. It's like a giant soul that can connect to higher beings in other dimensions at the same time can stay connected to the human. And so that's our real ticket. That's the real way. If you want to have a monastic connection to the universe that we live in. That mental universe is phenomenal. 
It's absolutely phenomenal. And the beings that exist there at the higher parts of it themselves, even some of them still being technically human, are amazing beings. Now, they don't, they don't spend a lot of time in more primitive places like Earth. It's just too backward for them. And there's not much they can contribute because this place just doesn't have enough beings on it, if any, who could truly understand where they're coming from and what they can contribute to help us. Now, there might be a few here and there. They're usually advanced initiates of various degrees, and, and they're still human, but they're on, the, they're on the verge of changing. They're not going to be human much longer. And that's who they do have contact with. Other than them, it's really not, not much, anything. So here we're, we're, at that, we're in this higher part of the mental dimension, and we're still talking about human beings. Because they still can reside and control this part of the universe, has still have contact with God, and they are truly the first human beings that are able to think and sense in ways that are far beyond what we would consider Earth-like experiences. Earth is too primitive. Uh, they could exist on Earth, but they also, in theory, and sometimes in practice, exist occasionally to live and teach and do other things in other worlds. So usually it's in the same, eh, it's oftentimes in the same star system. Sometimes it's in star systems that are some ways off. Do they leave the galaxy? They almost can, yes. If they really get this onto Corona thing, built almost 100%, leaving the galaxy is no problem at all. Until it's fully developed, you can't really expect them to get out of the galaxy no matter what. But the galaxy is just a little tiny nothing, right? The galaxy is eh, no big deal. Uh, if you reach the very top of the mineral and you can function there at will, you could reach literally uh, clear across all the galaxies, all of them, really, it is possible. But time becomes a bit of an issue because if you're if you're more than a few thousand light years away from where we are, uh, you're going to have some difficulties because although you're traveling at uh, a thousand plus times the speed of light as we understand it to be. It's still, if you're gonna go for, go for a trip to a far off galaxy, it better not be more than a thousand or two thousand light years away because if it's that far, it's gonna take a couple years just to get where you're going. And that's not, you know, it's a kind of long time to be traveling. And so for that reason, that's usually about where human beings don't any longer have the ability to travel. You might say, well, that's a very far way. You're talking about 2,000 light years away. Yeah, 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 but there's galaxies that are way, way, way beyond that. So you can't, you know, you're still in the neighborhood. Let's put it like that. You're beyond the neighborhood of just the galaxies that we 
cohabitate with the 30 or so galaxies. But but you're you're not going to go to any really distant galaxies. You can't make it there. It's just not possible. Time is against you. So for humans, this is about their the limit of their experience. And you could say, well, that's a pretty interesting experience in itself, but uh, I'm not so sure that that's worth my time. <laughs> and that's kind of true. Now, we're going to come back to this in a uh, few minutes. Well, actually, in <clears throat> short order, to be exact. But not, not just a few minutes, but, a, but less than a minute. And uh, I'm going to take a break and spray my my throat so that uh, I can continue to talk to you all. And uh, I'll be back in 30 seconds or so from right now. Okay, we're back. Gave myself a little bit of a rest there. That's good. So I can keep talking to you. Now, let me um, let me go into some of the, we'll say, the more uh, difficult to understand parts of what I just talked about. Because I'm, I'm really not going too deep into this because this gets really difficult. Some of this is so hard to explain and then even much more harder to comprehend. So we look at ourselves and we say, hey, if we advance ourselves as human beings, where's the greatest level we can reach? Well, you can you can go to galaxies to, uh, like a thousand, two thousand light years away. It's pretty far in all directions. Uh, what else? Well, you can, besides the question of travel, which I realize for a lot of people it's a big deal. It's kind of like the Star Trek adventure. Let's all get in our ships and travel. But we're really talking about time-space issues that are different from the question of being somewhere. So if we're going to go into that realm deeper, we need to look at it from the angle of can we communicate with beings who have greater abilities to communicate with us? And what would happen if that were to take place? If we reach these high levels, maybe they'll pay a little attention to us, you know? And maybe we don't have to worry about going to where they are. They could come to where we are. <laughs> it doesn't have to go just one direction, right? Ah, Wow, that's a little different. Now we can be talking about it, when you get to the next major kingdom of life, right? You're dealing with something that's other than what we call the human, uh, the human expression, human existence. These are what some people would think of as, as soul life, but it's a little. little a little easier to look at it from a, from the standpoint 
of time-space than it is from trying to name things in a certain way. Because remember, we're talking about they can't, they have to sense, think, and live differently than we do. And they could live on planets right in this solar system, and some do. So we don't have to be traveling some great distance to meet beings that are far in excess of being human. We'll call them advanced souls. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Uh, and they're advanced because they have or are working on the second part of having a soul. The first part of having a soul deals with the human type of experience that I described, which is really based upon what many people would consider to be the senses that we're familiar with and the kind of speed of light that we can at least have some idea about, and there's other factors to come into play. But that only takes us to the top of the middle world, and we can't share any of those experiences with other beings. We could have something on the order of direct experience up to the higher middle world, but the true sharing of the experience requires intuitional plane development, which means that you're now developing yourself as a super soul. Okay, so your soul is becoming something that's more advanced than it could be in the middle world. And then you can have meaningful expressions, meaningful experiences with beings in the entire intuitional world and even the world beyond that. When I say world, I'm talking about dimension of dimensions, which would then be the spiritual. And so you have the intuitional and the spiritual. That has another category of beings on it. Now, what do we call that category of beings? You know, they got to be called something, right? Well, they are called spirits. And to understand this from a perspective of a human, a human, a human relies upon some level of density of form to exist. The density of form comes from the form itself being part of it, being unintelligent, and that makes it dense. Density comes from a lack of intelligence, okay? Uh, When you reach higher than the top of the metal wall, all the beings beyond that point have much completed intelligence that humans don't have. Their intelligence comes from consciousness, that joins with intelligent interactions so that the interactions are shared with other beings. By doing that, they become one with not only their own senses and thought, they become one with all the other beings that they share this this, this dimension with. That's a huge difference. Their experience of the universe is not just about going from one place to another. It's from becoming part of beings all over the universe, (laughs) literally. And uh, those beings exist from the spiritual, the very top of the spiritual plane, 
down to the very bottom of the intuitional plane. And so it's a kind of odd thing that we have this, we'll call it uh, grouping of beings that now can exist in worlds that we can't even consider appropriate for human life. A lot of these worlds have gravities that are so immensely too great they're, because they usually have very large planets. Uh, not that the planet themselves is dense, but the planet lacks density, but it has sheer size and it's some proportionate level of an actual star. Not stars yet, but pretty close. And the, the, the amazing part about this is that these beings can still have contact with human beings, if they choose. Uh, and they're called, they're called spiritual beings. And they're sometimes called the hierarchy of consciousness that is spiritual. And so sometimes they're called the spiritual hierarchy. Now, the spiritual hierarchy has two defining differences among their own members. There are the spiritual members that uh, have a unification of all knowledge. That's not a bad thing. So they're all knowing of everything, and their all-knowingness allows them to take the form of anything and to perfect it in terms of its light and dark balance. That produces a thing called beauty. It's a very important thing, and it's actually a two-to-one ratio. Because you have to think for the form, and you have to think for the consciousness that informs the form. So you've got to do both. And, and this is the next kingdom, but it's a sub-kingdom of a greater kingdom. The whole thing is called the spiritual kingdom, but the spiritual kingdom has two different parts to it. The lowest part is this part that deals with what we call intuition, which means that you have all the knowledge necessary to convey information that is needed for people to have a vastly improved understanding that you share it. You don't just give it to them like you're a teacher in a in human sense and say, walk away. You actually are becoming one with them in the experience of, of helping them to understand and so that's what's done in the intuitional realm. And on Earth, at the present time, the intuitional realm is divided into two different parts. The first part uh, is the three lowest subworlds, okay? And you could say, what's so, what's so different about them? Well, it's kind of like the middle world. There's differences between one part and the other. In the three lowest ones, it's only about if it's only knowledge about uh, either the physical world as we call it, the astral world with the physical world, or the mental world with the astral world and the physical world together. So that's what you can have an expression of, and for the most part, they're segregated. So in other words, if you're really focused on the uh, astral world, it's going to be pretty hard to convey with all others a lot of information about the mental world without changing your position. 
and going back and forth, which is relatively inconvenient and difficult to do if you're a teacher. Uh, and when you do do it, you don't get concepts that are integral. They don't fit together perfectly. There's some contradictions from one level to the next because they're incomplete. But you can't recognize what, what it is that's contradictory from the stand, uh, from that vantage point until you get higher. So you don't know what it is. You know there's something missing. You know there's something wrong, but you know what it is. And so that's kind of like the three lowest subworlds. And uh, literally, you don't have to even technically exist there. You have to be able to touch there. And if you touch there, it kind of the information comes to you, but you're not sharing that information back and forth with the beings who exist there. If you're a human being living in the mental world, you may be able to reach there, but you're not really there. Okay, so that's how a fascinating idea in itself. And those three subworlds are called the rain cloud of knowable things. What does that mean, things? Well, lots of stuff you can know about, but if you really want to know about the things of stuff, that's where that's available. But by hampering yourself to having to have a thing to know something uh, leads to many confusions, mistakes, and we'll say incompleteness in people building larger, better understood uh, thought. So there's a lot of limitations about these three lowest subworlds in the intuitional world. Uh, and on Earth, they're not joined at all. On um, planets where things are a bit better off than Earth, where Earth uh, has a lot of evil on it, once you get rid of most or all the evil on a planet, you can actually join those three together. You still have a rain cloud of noble things, but it's like the three become one, which makes it a lot easier to teach and much easier to convey information from people who have, uh, who are living there and who have soul-like consciousness consciousness. So that's a that's a difference between Earth. Earth has got a lot of problems because there's too much evil on Earth to join these together. And there is a constant limitation, an unfortunate constant limitation, on allowing the uh, allowing that to become a regular part of people's learning. So it's rare that people even get any chance to learn anything through this rain cloud method because uh, there's very few people that can do it at all. And even when they do do it, it comes out more difficult to understand than it should be, but it's just the nature of Earth that produces that problem. It isn't the problem necessarily the people who exist here are teaching. It's the problem of the Earth itself. That's one of the difficulties that we have to live with right now. Okay, so what about the rest of it? What about the fourth, third, second, first subworlds of the intuitional world? Wow, that's a whole other ballgame. Now, if you can reach there, okay, let's say you can reach there and teach from there. Whoa, as soon as you jump onto the fourth, all the problems I just mentioned and a bunch more that I didn't really cover very well, uh, on the fifth, sixth, and seventh subworlds are gone. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And you, you can teach more whole concepts uh, in much swifter time 
that people can understand almost immediately in comparison to this confounding effect, which could take days, weeks, months, years before anybody really gets what you were trying to teach them about. And so teaching becomes a way, way more productive operation. And the number of concepts conveyed, instead of being a hundred, if you're lucky, is in the thousands to ten thousands, even over a hundred thousand, depending on how good you get at it, um, when you get higher, you get to the fourth subworld. That's pretty amazing. That's a lot of concepts that you're drawing upon. Now, people can't understand all those concepts. What happens is you present a whole slew of them, and then people in their own minds pick up the things that they're capable of understanding automatically because you're sharing it directly with them, and you're not going through what is known as a mind-brain transfer concept. It's too complicated to explain it, but really the most important thing is that two people, you can have 10 people sitting in a room, and each one is going to get exactly what they need to understand better what you're talking about. But none of those 10 people are getting the same thing at the same time. And they may all be getting different concepts or different combinations of concepts. And that's that's the amazing thing about getting into the fourth buddhic, it's called, or intuitional subworld. Because you're able to create this effect, which is a way better model for teaching. As a matter of fact, if you can teach that way, that's the way you should only teach because the other ways are so inferior. There are differences and there are difficulties. Here's the biggest difficulty if you're if you're a teacher, and that is getting if you can get to the fourth intuitional world, you're now sharing all these responsibilities in teaching with whoever jumps into the teaching, which could be many people, many beings that exist there. And they're all changing at different times and some have more to contribute in any one second than others, and you're being bombarded with all this and you have to go back and forth with it. Well, that's a huge amount of, we'll say, capacity to be using for a human. If you're a soul already living there, it's no problem at all for those folks. But if you're a human being, it could be a real nightmare. What's the dangers? Oh, all kinds of stuff goes bad. Uh, the energies in your own bodies are not longer controlled well. There's all kinds of issues that could come up because you're no longer really, for the time that you're teaching, if you're using this methodology, doing much to take care of your own bodies. So that something goes awry there, or say some other problem may be happening. You can't do anything about it, and you can't, you won't even notice it. But but you could be damaging over the long run, or even in the short run, it could be very serious if it's some kind of big problem. But the key to this is the ability to be able to serve, and the service that can be accomplished is so vastly greater from the fourth buddhic subworld, or intuitional, for some people's liking, then your amount of gain is fantastic, and it's worth whatever you can try to do to, to make it work. Uh, and it really has... Uh, uh, another, we'll say, side to it. And that is that you're also getting some information from other sources. Now, this is not well known, but once you start being able to teach from this level, 
there's that's the that is the spiritual hierarchy. That's, that's those are the beings who who are living there. Okay, so you're in communication with beings way beyond the fourth Buddhic subworld. You could be in communication with someone who is at the top of the spiritual subworld, or spiritual world, which is the first subworld. The top of the spiritual world would be the subworld. So, and what does that mean? That means that these beings now have the ability to tra- traverse time and space at a level that's so far beyond where we're talking about that in theory at least, I'm not saying this happens very often, in theory at least, you can touch to galaxies that are literally as far away as they could get from where we are. Now that's a huge distance (laughs) beyond. And all of those beings in theory now, any one of them can contact beings here or someone who's teaching here outside of the spiritual hierarchy just from this world. And that's a rare event. It would be some kind of teaching that would be pretty important on a, we'll call it intergalactic uh, level. And it would probably go in both directions because all this is back and forth not one direction and so if something is being profoundly taught here on earth it could reach a galaxy that's a million light years from here that's like whoa (laughs) and something from that galaxy from beings in that galaxy could reach here so you start thinking about this, you say, whoa, well, that's like almost the entire universe. Well, it's not really. The universe is much larger than that. But it's certainly a big part of it. And, and, and we're looking at this whole thing, and we're saying to ourselves, holy, there's, a way, there's a, so much more that there is than what most people think about when we're talking about where people can be existing and what kind of worlds they exist on and what where those worlds may be. See, because it isn't just that everybody thinks well, all the worlds are part of this solar system. We're a little nothing. I'm talking about solar systems and galaxies so far, it's beyond our imagination. And it could be on planets bigger by far than Jupiter and uh, still not yet a star. And also uh, made out of things other than just ammonia and nitrogen and hydrogen, which Jupiter is mostly hydrogen. And it's got, you know, so you have all these other possibilities that you get into. And that puts it into a different scale. Because those beings still, they're still from the spiritual world down now. I'm not talking about the beings that were monadic, and we're going to get to that, but that's not in this section. But it's still something to seriously consider. Anyway, I just looked at the clock, and we're going to go to a break right now. We'll be back in about two and a half minutes. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? 
While it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters, some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Dallas McClellan. Tonight, we're talking about greater life on planets where humans cannot sense, think, or live. <laughs> okay. So, some of these worlds that we're talking about are not necessarily even near us, but they could be worlds that uh, we, as we advance ourselves uh, closer to the next kingdom beyond humans we may be able to have some contact with. And if we can get beyond the human kingdom and truly exist in these in this other next kingdom called the spiritual kingdom, and it's a hierarchy of different consciousnesses, that's what the word hierarchy means, and some of those consciousnesses are so great that they reach all the way to the very atomic highest level of the spiritual plane, the spiritual world. Uh, most of them do not. Most of them are somewhere lower in the spiritual world and others are in the intuitional world to the fourth subworld of that world. And depending upon where they are, 
they can be in communication with planets both in our solar system, which is like nothing, and all over our galaxy, which is still a very pittance in terms of time space, and to many vast numbers of galaxies that have uh, all kinds of, we'll call it, planets that are far beyond the Earth-like planet that we're on. Now, in trying to understand what it means to live on these planets, it is important to recognize that we're not talking about physical life. Physical life pretty much ends uh, when you're no longer human. Humans are the the ones who create and mostly live in the physical environment, including the astral and monastic mental. So that's where the humans hang out. That's where we really exist at. When you enter the spiritual part of existence, you live on planets that provide much more capable uh, interaction with other worlds, which a dense planet doesn't allow much to be able to be done because of time-space problems. And it gives you an access to huge amounts of, we'll call it, more ability to think and live. Life becomes something much greater than being attached to a planet. It becomes something that is the forever giving and sharing of first knowledge and then eventually spirit. Now, spirit is consciousness. The best way to describe that, it's like consciousness. So you share your consciousness with all other beings as well as any knowledge that they might need or perceive, but that's, a, that's like secondary. And this, the, sharing of, the sharing of spirit or consciousness is a whole different way of existing. When you share spirit or consciousness, you're becoming a being that is much better equipped to understand its creator. It's much more able to interconnect with parts of its own creator. And it's able to do, to do so without interfering with those beings that should be left alone and not, not dealt with. And it also prevents these beings from ever becoming evil. So you can't be evil if you are a spiritual being. And evil knows us. So it isn't like evil says, gee, I just wish I could be spiritual someday. Now, they're not really trying to do that. They wish to carve out their part of the universe, if you want to call it that, that is where humans predominantly live, uh, especially from the lower mental world down, and use these parts for their uh, growth of power and enslavement over others. This is what they like. And the object of evil is to gain power 
So it's a very important thing. But it's power to both take, not give, and power to destroy if necessary, but enslave more than that. So they wish to enslave and they wish to control. If absolutely necessary, they will destroy. And they live for a purpose which is antithetical to God. You say, well, what, what's, the, what's the thing to gain from this? Where, where do you get ahead by saying, hey, we already recognize that God exists, but we'll pretend like it doesn't so that others won't think that. Um, we know God exists, but we're not going to uh, play God's game. God's game is to become this spiritual being and to then eventually become an omnipotent being like God. And who in heck wants to do that if you got to give everything to someone else? I want to keep some or all of it for myself. And I should get what I, what I, what I create because it's mine. And nobody should tell me that I have to give it up, God or otherwise. Now that's a misnomer, but that's what their argument is. The misnomer is that God is forcing them to give anything up. God isn't doing that. God is so far removed from them that they can pretend God doesn't exist and convince the majority of people and others that it's true. There is no such thing as God. It's all a big hocus-pocus nonsense. But the bigger part of the problem here on Earth, for us, is that evil has a stranglehold on Earth. The stranglehold comes from uh, a plan for Earth that was to cut the time for development of the world, as we understand it, uh, by approximately half, so that things go twice as fast. You say, well, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't we do that? Why don't we make it four times as fast? <laughs> well, it's a problem because, remember, that as you become more spiritual, you're starting to share everything through time and space together. They are unifying together. But if you try to cut the time in half to make that happen, uh-oh, there's a problem in the science. As you cut it in half, which was in the plan for Earth, and is still in the plan for Earth, you have to have the equivalency of power to uh, be able to defend yourself against evil attacks. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like it's impractical. What's wrong with that? Why can't you have more power and just make a go with the power? Well, that seems to work okay, provided that you use the power judiciously and you keep it from being exploited easily by evil. If you decide that you don't have to worry about that, 
people will know better. Just give them enough knowledge, and you don't have to worry about this problem with the power issue. Uh, then you don't have to worry about developing power, except there's a problem. If you go down that road, as I just a few minutes ago described, there is the every high likelihood that the ignoring of the power will lead to much greater levels of power used by evil. You have to fight evil with power if you're going to cut time in half. It's a relatively simple, although not so simple for most people, but it's a relatively simple equation. And if you start working with it mathematically, it becomes obvious that it's a true statement. I know this is going to sound hard to believe, but about a million years ago, there's some folks who had that worked out mathematically, if you want to call it that, and showed it to those that are around them, including beings from other worlds who were supposed to be here to help and all kinds of other stuff. Some of them from, a, from our sister planet, Venus, who was just going into a pralala period where there was no, there's no life on physical world Venus. There wasn't then. But there was in the astral and monastic parts of Venus. And, and the Venusians were odd because they, they thought they understood it. They said, wait a second. Nah. You can don't have to use power at all. And you say, well, well, wait a second. That would be true. You don't have to use power at all as long as you don't cut the time in half. If you cut the time in half, you have to use power. The math doesn't support anything else. It only works that way. No, no, no. We, we don't think you're right about that. We we have computed it ourselves. <laughs> I don't know what math they were using. They were using and our math shows us that it really makes no difference. Power is an irrelevant issue. Just let the dark side have all the power they want, as long as you continue to raise consciousness faster than you raise power, everybody's going to be happier than punch. And that's how we should deal with this. Not a true statement. I mean, it's, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy of sorts. And so here we have a, 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 a basic problem in misunderstanding, uh, we'll call it more basic math, although it's probably more advanced math than most people can do, but still fairly basic math in, in physics terms. And you can show that what is being discussed here is absolutely wrong because when you get to the spiritual world, not the intuitional, when you get to the spiritual world, you have to have the power adjusted to reach the quote-unquote speed of light thought that is necessary to complete the equation that is necessary to prevent evil from taking over. And unfortunately, if you only compute it in the intuitional realm, which is what the Venusians were doing, uh, you don't notice that. So you don't come up with the same, the same conclusion, but that conclusion is false. 
and so you end up with a big, big problem. And the problem, the longer you stay with the avoidance of power as a means of deterring uh, beings who are set to use power against you, the more likely you're going to be overpowered. That's <laughs> just simple. And uh, that's exactly what happened on Earth. And the longer it went, the worse it got. Uh, and it, it was like one of these deals where someone with a little bit more consciousness, but not enough, intervened in a process that they probably should have stayed out of, and it caused a, a, a nightmare. Now, those of you who don't believe any of that, it's okay, but you can still do the math about this. And the math is supported by what I'm talking about. So it's critical to understand that power is a spiritual plane uh, necessity to figure. And you can't ignore it because if you do ignore it, you don't get what is known as a state of fusion. And without fusing, you don't get uh, the needed light that's necessary to defeat evil. The darkness grows regardless of anything else you do. The darkness grows. Now, it may not grow quite as fast if you don't rely upon power, but you still try to have people giving and helpful towards each other and everybody's lovey-dovey. But it's inevitable. They're eventually going to win. The dark side will eventually win because you're avoiding the critical element that's necessary for, to complete the fusion process and you never get to it. Uh, it's a kind of fascinating idea. It wasn't until after World War II that this idea became part of understanding some of what I'm talking about because in order to create a fusion device, like a hydrogen bomb, uh, you have to understand how power works just to a greater level than before that period of time. And unfortunately, there are very few people who did. And certainly almost none of them had any idea it had anything to do with metaphysics or spiritual stuff. But regardless, the universe is what the universe is, and you just can't ignore these things because terrible things can happen. Now, the beings that were on the larger planets here in this solar system, where we are, Sol, S-O-L, solar system, that... Um, those those beings that had, we'll say, a better understanding about the situation had another problem. And that was that the general rule in sharing consciousness is that you can't intervene with a planet that isn't fully evil from having its will say, first dibs on entering into and functioning with a nearby planet. So, 
So in this case, the people from Venus, even though their world was no longer physically operational, they, this is, these are people from the monastic part of Venus. So that's the highest part, really. Uh, were had the dibs on coming to Earth and forcing or blocking, which was done, uh, any further more spiritual and spiritually correct thinking from beings on the outer planets of this particular solar system and all other solar systems. It's like their actions took precedent, even though they were dead wrong. And believe me, they knew. Some people, I mean, the other beings, the ones from the bigger planets and outside the solar system, knew darn well that the, the people were wrong, but they couldn't do anything to stop it. And they had to wait until the world nearly ended completely, and then uh, they kind of, the Venusians just sort of <laughs> kind of scattled, they went away, well, like over 10,000 years ago. It just disappeared. And then it took beings from other other parts, other star systems to come and try to put the pieces back together. But the weird thing about it is that there is a rule, and the rule goes like this. The adoption of a dark system by coming from a nearby planet has to have all of itself used up, all the darkness, not just their leaving. The leaving doesn't change it. So even with other beings coming to this world trying to make it better, there was this darkness that could not be gotten rid of easily. And it stayed around for till the modern days. And there was a spiritual hierarchy on Earth to speak, not much to speak of, not too many members, but they were convinced that the Venusians probably had it all right and we just weren't using it correctly. And that was a big mistake. So you had a lot of players and because of their thought and where they were coming from uh, and their position in the alignment of how this whole situation works, we ended up with a lot of serious problems and near disaster. I'm going to come back in, uh, give or take, a little over 30 seconds and talk to you more about this. Okay, we're back and uh, going to go ahead and continue now. The uh, the best way to gain an understanding of where these large planets play a major role is that if, let's say, Earth reaches a point where 
we use some of the restrained power that wasn't used until after World War II uh, to improve uh, life on Earth and at the same time to uh, prevent further dissemination of the destructive elements. How can we that make that happen? Because the dark side's working like crazy to get people to develop nuclear weapons and use money, so that kind of stuff. Well, part of it comes from the idea that in order to have a world in which power is properly used, it needs a place for people to be free. At the present time, the biggest battle is to curtail some, if not every, level of freedom possible. Uh, the being who had the most influence on that was uh, Obama, President Obama, who actually came from Venus. His soul comes from Venus, anyway. And uh, he was a very bad being. He is a very bad being. And his uh, intention was to uh, cause the world to lose as much freedom as possible. He didn't want a nuclear war. He didn't want uh, to militarily take over countries. He didn't want to uh, uh, force people to uh, do what he said. What he wants and what he still still wants what he did want is to completely obliterate freedom that comes from God. Because he wanted to get rid of God on earth. Getting rid of God on earth is a much more dangerous method of destroying earth than any, anything else that is being done by the dark hierarchy here. Obama's not a member of the dark hierarchy. He's a he comes from the from Venus, but he's stuck in the astral part of Venus because he's lived a wrong life in that world. And he comes here without his soul. The soul stays somewhat distant from Earth, so he's a soulless being when he's here. He's very much like a dark master, but he's not really technically a dark master of our hierarchy. And his purpose has been, and still is today, to remove freedom because he recognizes that uh, the greatest weapon against uh, Earth is the reduction of freedom. And that should be done, as he puts it, more on a political, governmental level than as a matter of military attack or some other thing, which is, interestingly, uh, much less uh, effective over a long time. But taking, but controlling the governments to become socialistic, communistic governments is 
vastly more effective for long periods of time and can destroy Earth fairly easily, actually. If it were to succeed particularly in the United States, which is the leading country about this very issue. So you got to get rid of God, though. You can't have God as part of the equation because God supersedes government. And he wants government to control everything, so that's where he his plan was instrumented. And if the Clintons... Uh, had won the presidency, that would have been an accomplishment of significant amounts, probably finishing off Earth. Uh, and if it were to happen in the future, maybe his wife, or relative, or something, uh, it would be, I say he, I'm talking about Obama, uh, it would lead to the uh, desired goal. Now, his goal is not that far distant from the goal of the dark hierarchy on Earth, except they have different methods that they employ. Uh, Obama's not really interested in uh, bombing the hell out of people or creating super weapons of mass destruction. The best weapon of mass destruction is a political one, one in which the government removes all your rights and tells you you don't have any because there's no such thing as God. And if you believe in God, that's your problem. So you got that's where the evil has really centered because of this odd occurrence. And that Earth is not the first, nor will it be the last world that's had something like this happen. But we are in a kind of unique position because we tried this experiment of cutting the time in half without modifying the equations necessary to make that take place. Remember, time-space, it's all connected together. You can't cut one in half unless you change, change everything else you're going to do. And that's something that people didn't make good sense of. Unfortunately, they know that better on Venus than here. But if you're a bad dude on Venus, like he was, then you use that to come to Earth to do your do a number on it. Isn't that weird? Anyway, so we have we have an example right here on Earth of some of the bad things that can come about by misunderstanding some of the principles that are so indelibly created within the universe and within God. All right, so we have uh, a really fascinating kind of uh, scenario developing, and that is that the spiritual hierarchy is really divided into two different groups, so to speak, and the highest group has a fewer members. The lower group has more members because it's just the way when you develop beings in the world, the, 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 the ones that exceed the overall level of consciousness are fewer, usually. All right, so we have a significant factor that comes into play, and then that's at the end of it. We have only covered up to the chop of the spiritual world. That's a spiritual hierarchy. But 
there's more. The spiritual, the members at the top of the spiritual hierarchy are moving on to what is known as the monadic hierarchy. They say, well, there's a hierarchy of monads. I thought they all came here and they just do their thing, you know. Well, there's they're different groups. They're groups that came here from other uh, other God-created universes. But there's also a number presently in this universe that have created themselves back into being monads starting from the lowest type of life. That's amazing. There's not a vast number of them, but it's still a number. And those beings are truly uh, monads. They start at the top of the monadic plane itself. They become what is known as a seventh level initiate. What does that mean? Well, it means that they can now uh, effectively garner the consciousness of monads in this world all the way up to that level and the monads in all other worlds eventually. Now for this world, until you get off of the top of the monadic plane, you only deal with this world and a little bit from some other planets in this in this solar system. That's it. That's where you're stuck in really having that kind of consciousness. And so most people call that person a world teacher. Now, there's actually, there could be more than one. If you go back thousands of years ago, there was one, but now there's uh, a couple more. So you got like three. But those, those beings have elevated themselves to that level, and they are unique, at least in general terms, as far as the Earth is concerned. They have uh, a great deal of responsibility to teach to the spiritual hierarchy, which eventually gets down to humanity through some of the more advanced humans. Uh, what evil's like, what the advanced elements of everything are about, and they um, exist. Uh, in their teaching capacity by dividing up the all the we'll call it humans who can have any contact with any part of the spiritual hierarchy. So they can teach those people. They cannot teach people less than that. So let's say you're just a very bright person, but you're not, you know, you're not metaphysically in the spiritual side of things yet. Maybe you're not doing that much with that. Well, you're not going to have a, a meeting with one of these, uh, there's three of them, as I said, uh, beings that are world teachers. Yes, I know Jesus Christ was supposedly a world teacher. Yeah, yeah, he, he he was. And when he was the world teacher, there was just him at that particular point in time. But it doesn't matter that there was one, two, or three, whatever the story is. It, it, it's the same principle applies. And you could say, well, Jesus Christ was supposedly 
the world teacher, but he had a world teacher. Well, they're one and the same in some respects, depending upon how you look at it. Jesus was the student of this great being. And when this great being chose, with Jesus' consent, to do some teaching, he did. And when that being didn't do it, you had Jesus filling it. So it's a little hard to understand this, but in today's show, you could start seeing how this could really happen. Whereas it doesn't make much sense if you don't understand everything I've taught so far and more. Because it sounds confusing. Well, was Jesus the world teacher or was his great being? Some people call him Maitreya. That was one of the three. Uh, and, and probably the actual being that knew Jesus at that time. But Jesus was becoming, he was becoming a member of the spiritual hierarchy while this was going on at the level that was required to, to reach at that time. And he could teach as himself, and he did some of that. But when the most important elements of the teaching were coming through, he was, we call it, overshadowed or he was affected by the teaching of his teacher. And the odd thing about it is he actually told, supposedly, his students this information. But the idea of that actually being understood by the general world at that time, you know, a couple thousand years ago, not, not highly likely very many people would really distinguish the difference. So today they think of Jesus being this the son of God, this great being. The son of God and all that business is it's really a... a He's just trying to explain something that to someone who doesn't understand all the various complicated facts that I talked about tonight and zillions of other ones. I, it's too, it's too, it was too hard to understand it for people in that time period. They didn't have the science to help them. That world had already been pretty much wiped out, and it was this starting to come back, so to speak, but with great adversities and all kinds of wars and terrible things. So it was, you know, it was a time when it really wasn't practical to be able to understand things at the levels that we could today. And some people did. Usually it was the spiritual disciples of Jesus slash world teacher that did understand the difference. But their ability to teach it themselves to others. And then for those people to teach it, it became, it became almost impossible because a lot of this just got lost. It, it just got confused, put together, very personalized instead of spiritual. It's just the way things are when that's what happens. It happens in, to a lot of religions that way, not just Christianity. Okay, so we have this, we'll call it, unique circumstance where someone can reach a level so high that their contact usually goes through intermediaries. And if they have direct contact, it's with people who have to be spiritually disciplining themselves 
because those people would either be killed by their presence or they would be harmed by those people's presence. Well, either way, it's going to go bad for someone. So it's not a good thing. And that's the problem that we face when you get to beings of this magnitude of consciousness. I'm talking about beings that are as high as you can go in the spiritual kingdom. Now, these are really big, you know, far out there. And they are, if they've reached the monadic plane, they're monads. That's a, a pretty amazing factor to consider. And you don't, you don't just go a one little step. When you're at the top of the spiritual world, which is the top of the formal spiritual hierarchy, and you move to the next level, you don't just step off and you're just at the bottom of the monadic plane. No. You go to the highest level of the monadic plane instantly, and that's just considered the seventh level in this shit master. So I hope you're beginning to see that uh, these, the life of these beings is phenomenal, and if you say, well, where do they reside? I've had this question posed to me a number of times. And the answer is that once you get into the monadic world, uh, if you're at the first level where these world teachers are, they can travel to other solar systems and either other galaxies. They can have meetings with a whole bunch of beings that we can even fathom. That isn't what they primarily do. They still pay a lot of attention to what's going here on Earth because that is their formal place. But they have contact all over the universe of sorts. And their ability to do this takes no time by our standards at all. So their their existence is becoming a timeless existence, which is different than what we perceive, of course. And then you go further than this, and you start moving into the first monadic world. Well, at that point, you now have exceeded uh, anything to do with strictly Earth. Everything you're doing, Earth may get involved in some Everything you're doing involves maybe thousands or millions of planets similar to Earth. Not all of them as dark as Earth, but similar in some ways. And many, 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 many vast numbers of other worlds and other solar systems. Your intric the intricacy of your existence is phenomenal. And what are you doing if you're an eighth level? This is what we call eighth level mission. Well, your interactions are not so much to complete the process of what we would call the uh, the unification of God. It's to begin the process of the unification of God. And there's really four levels of unification principles that are applied. The first is the unification of God beginning with 
the solar system that you originated from, which would be, in this case, the solar system, or, or, and quickly you move to a lot of other solar systems like that. And then quickly you move to systems that are vastly different. And eventually you reach the whole galaxy and you move on to the next level. And now you're going to start dealing with thousands, even millions of galaxies. But galaxies at all levels, not just at the physical where we see galaxies. And the, the now you're starting to elevate yourself to be in contact with beings of all types, all the way to and including monads themselves. So you're interacting with monads from the farthest reaches of all of our universe. Wow. Now, are, do you still have contact with people from Earth? Not directly. Uh, these beings are so vastly greater that uh, the issues of Earth have to be covered by beings that are more specifically focused on what's happening here, at least on a monthly, annual, some, some basis that we can make some sense of. These beings don't work in that realm. They also work in the past and the present at the same time. Now, it's a little hard for us to understand what that means. How can you be in the past and the present at the same time? Well, they are. They're, they are comparing past events in time space with things that are happening in real time in time space. And this gives them a huge, a huge ability to be of service to uh, stars and to other systems that are groups of stars usually, and then you're 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 able to really collectively help different galaxies that are groups of galaxies working together. So you can do all these things from a standpoint of uh, literally no time at all. That's the incredible part about. It. And your connection with God is you understand all elements of God of its past existence in this universe and of God at the present time in this universe. Only thing that's missing is the future. Now you can say, well, but the future hasn't happened yet, so what do you do with that? Well, then you get to the highest level, <laughs> okay? And now these beings that are on the highest level exist, and they usually have, uh, the best way to describe it is hangouts, if you want to call it that, on zillions of large planets, the largest that you could imagine, and that they interconnect with, with other beings that actually uh, have like little outposts to speak of in those realms. And they also exist in terms of time-space uh, into a future that they start developing about how the universe can uh, eventually create itself into a total expression of its creator God. Each one creates a different version since it has all these zillions of planets that it's interconnected with in different ways and different 
with different galaxies, and it has different combinations, right? All those different combinations gives it a different future, all right? And eventually, every being goes through this uniqueness of becoming a unique being uh, in three different levels. Uh, the third, the second, and the first, they're, they're called uh, various levels of silent watchers. Now, they aren't so silent, and they aren't just watching. But what they're doing is they're not, as far as the future is concerned, they're not directly interfering with any of the other beings who are doing the same thing. So at the same time, beings can be using this, even the same world, the same solar system, the same galaxies in different ways. In the, and this, to them, is a full reality. All these collective realities together, one after another, another, go together and become eventually part of God. And in the end, the collection of all of them, in the end, after they have done all that they, each one does, they leave this universe and go to uh, what we call a higher uh, type of universe. There's one of three different kinds they may travel and, and become part of. But that's, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other stage in their development. In the meantime, what's happening with God? Well, God's growing at the, at the complete total of all the experiences of all the beings that are doing this, which eventually will be everything that's alive, that has ever been alive, that existed in this universe for all time. Now, when does time end for this universe? Time ends when God takes all of the different scenarios, puts them together into a single scenario that it finds in its greatness to be the one that it has made. And that is, it, then our universe in total, not the physical universe, the whole universe is open. And God has created something that has made God into a greater God. And God goes on to other ways of being. So you kind of look at this and you say to yourself, well, this thing is truly pretty, pretty remarkable because you end up, and God exists in, in a universe of just gods, by the way. You should be aware that I didn't mention it. God ends, always has been and is always part of the universe of just gods. So if we look at how, how this is all taking place, but what we're really showing is that what we think of as time and space are, are really the uh, places of creation. It's the methodology that allows things to be created without the um, uh, freedom at the level that each type of life can create being disrupted or prevented from doing, which allows even evil to exist. So everything can live in its own existence and still be part of God's growth in the long run, but not be interfered with by anything that thinks greater 
than humans, or even than humans themselves in their own thought. So everything has the opportunity to be self-created. Everything. Because everything, by definition, is a part of life, and life is ultimately the growth of God without God controlling it. Wow. And that's where, when we talk about other worlds and that there's places where beings exist like this, it's hard for us to even conceive of this because eventually it isn't a world, it isn't a galaxy, it's in everything. And the emergence of God is through the creation of all of the elements of life coming together freely at their level of thought and sense to create. So God makes sure that nothing higher than the life that is there is going to interfere with the creation of life at the level that life exists at. And this is a very complicated thing for most people to understand. It doesn't guarantee that human beings can't go out willy-nilly and kill all kinds of plant and animal life. What it does say is that basically the elements that are necessary for humans to be in control of something at the same time prohibits humans from completely destroying the ability for life to exist. And you could say, well, why can't humans just create a bunch of atomic weapons, nuclear weapons, and destroy all of Earth? Well, uh, that could happen if evil has their way, although even, even evil doesn't want that to happen. But even though it could happen, there are many things that are safety factors that some, in some ways prevent it from happening. Not to say it can't happen, because it has to be allowed to be able to happen. But it isn't coming from God. God's not involved in it. In those cases, it usually is evil. But in some cases, it's just ignorance. And so when we talk about, well, the, the thought of humans can change these things or things beyond humans can change these things, yeah, thought is a critical element because thought is really an element of light. And so you, if you look at how this whole thing is working, it's all still part of the mind of God, but with part of that mind deliberately withholding uh, any restrictions on some lower parts from doing things that are sometimes quite harmful, maybe even very destructive. Freedom has a cost. And that cost is that planets like Earth may not all survive. But the larger planets, the very big planets, the giant planets, those have the best chance of survival, which is kind of strange. So they may continue to exist, and planets like Earth, some may not. There's no guarantees, therefore. 
And everybody thinks, oh, well, God's in our side, so Earth's not going to get destroyed. No, no, it isn't true. There's zillions of planets just like Earth that have been destroyed, including a predecessor to Earth in an earlier star system that the star, our existing star, was connected to. It was in a different stage of its own development, and so senses were differently. There, that Earth only existed in etheric form and never reached a dense physical life condition. Isn't that interesting? We don't even think there is such a thing, but there is. They do exist even as I speak. So this is a kind of a fascinating idea. And there's no question that when we look at the, the totality of tonight's show, we begin to see that there is a connection between planet sizes and where they're located and what they do and which ones are most, unfortunately, susceptible to destruction. And the ones that are the greatest and most susceptible to destruction are just like ours, Earth. Can we keep ourselves from destroying it? We'll find out in the next century or so. Probably less than that. The answers to that kind of question really have to do more with people refusing to live in a world where there is no freedom. And that's got to be the ultimate answer. No matter how many people there are, you have to have as many people as are necessary to give up at least their physical life and probably beyond that in order for the planet to remain free. And freedom means the ability, literally, the ability to function so that you can make mistakes and function so that you can do things that normally people don't like or some people don't like. There has to be that element. A world in which there is no such thing like that is a world doomed for destruction. Now, people say to me, well... What's so wrong about socialism, communism, whenever you keep harping on that? Well, what's so wrong about it is if the world gets there, in other words, it's really mostly the United States, but let's say let's say the world gets there. We're really going to become a socialistic world two generations at most before everything is gone. Two at most. It's like 40 years. That's all it takes and the world will be destroyed. It won't be destroyed by evil. Everybody says, oh, evil is going to destroy it by what? No, no, it's not going to be destroyed by evil. It's going to be destroyed by the same great monads, uh, other beings that I talked about during this show. Unfortunately, sometimes you just have to get rid of a planet that's gone too far the wrong way. Earth is accelerated in that respect because it's an experiment. Other planets get more time, they're given more forgiveness in some ways, but Earth is not like that. 
So you came here, I came here, we all came here, knowing us ahead of time, because our souls knew. We knew that this was going to be the way it was. Some souls have not stayed. Other souls are still coming. But we really are getting close to the end of the days when we can afford to continue to live in a world without freedom. And freedom doesn't mean freedom to do anything you want. Freedom means the freedom to make sure that other people are free. To ensure everybody has their own freedoms. Not just you. Not just yourself, not just your friends, not just your family. Everybody. Because we're all one. We're all connected together through the idea of their souls and where they're coming from. And then beyond our souls to those beings that we interact with in higher spheres. I hope this show has made some difference. I, I don't know if I got everything across that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> but the idea of it is that uh, at least it explains some of the things that the spiritual group I'm part of, of what we're doing, and also explains some of the elements of things that people think are inexplicable. Like, why is it going this way? Why are people doing that? Can't they see? Can't they understand? Can't they know? What's wrong with people? <laughs> Hopefully it has answered some of those things. Hopefully. I don't know if it did, but hopefully it did. Well, uh, we are out of time. And uh, I want you to know that I appreciate you trying to follow everything I said tonight. It's quite a bit. You can go back and re-listen. The show should be up in a couple of days. And tell your friends about it. You know, if you think there was something said tonight that was of particular importance, let them know as well that uh, it's available and they can listen to it. If you really have some serious questions that you think you can't get answered by listening or by maybe reading some things, you can always contact me. I am available. Okay, until next week, this, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is.